fence of white cravat, and there it lay, a valley between two jutting heights of collar, serene and whiskerless, before you. His hair, grizzled with an iron grey, was all brushed off his forehead, and stood bolt upright, or slightly drooped in kindred action with his heavy eyelids. So did his manner, which was soft and oily, all tended to the same purpose and cried aloud, Behold the moral Pecksniff! The brazen plate upon his door bore this inscription, Pecksniff, Architect. Of his architectural doings nothing was clearly known, except that he had never designed or built anything, but it was generally understood that his knowledge of the science was almost awful in its profundity. Mr. Pecksniff's professional engagements, indeed, were entirely confined to the reception of pupils. His genius lay in ensnaring parents and guardians, and pocketing premiums. A young gentleman's premium being paid, Mr. Pecksniff turned him loose in a spacious room, where, in the company of certain drawing boards, parallel rulers, very stiff-legged compasses, and two or three other young gentlemen, he improved himself for three or five years in making elevations of Salisbury Cathedral from every possible point of sight, and in constructing in the air a vast quantity of castles, houses of parliament, and other public buildings. Ladies, said Mr. Pecksniff, glancing round the table when he'd finished his supper, a new inmate will very shortly come among us. A youth, papa? asked Charity. Is he handsome, Pa? Silly Mary, said the eldest. What is the premium, Pa? Tell us that. Oh, good gracious, Cherry, cried Miss Mercy. What a mercenary girl you are. Oh, you naughty, thoughtful, prudent thing. It was perfectly charming and worthy of the pastoral age to see how the two Miss Pecksniffs slapped each other after this. "'He is well-looking,' said Mr. Pecksniff, slowly and distinctly. "'Well-looking enough, but I do not positively expect any immediate premium with him.' Notwithstanding their different natures, both Charity and Mercy concurred in opening their eyes uncommonly wide at this announcement. "'Oh, let us not be forever calculating, devising, and plotting for the future.' said Mr. Pecksniff, smiling more and more, and looking at the fire, as a man might, who was cracking a joke with it. I am weary of such arts. What is the domestic news since yesterday? John Westlock is gone, I hope. Indeed, no, said Charity. And why not? His box was packed, I know, for I saw it in the morning, standing in the hall. He slept last night at the Dragon, and had Mr. Pinch to dine with him. Now I think, said Mr. Pecksniff, with the air of one who suffered under injury without complaint, I think Mr. Pinch might have done better than choose for his companion one who, as he knew, wounded my feelings. I am not quite sure that this was delicate in Mr. Pinch. But what can anyone expect from Mr. Pinch? cried Charity. "'Mr. Pinch is a fellow creature, my dear. "'Mr. Pinch has disappointed me. "'He has hurt me. "'I think a little the worse of him on this account, "'but not of human nature. "'Oh, no, no.' "'Hark!' 
said Miss Charity, holding up her finger as somebody knocked at the parlour door. Come in, cried Mr. Pecksniff. An ungainly, awkward-looking man, extremely short-sighted and prematurely bald, availed himself of this permission. He was perhaps about thirty, but he might have been almost any age between sixteen and sixty. Oh, I beg your pardon for intruding, but no intrusion, Mr. Pinch, said Mr. Pecksniff very sweetly. Certainly, sir. Mr. Westlock, sir, wishes to leave none but friends behind him. Mr. Westlock and you, sir, have had many little differences. Little differences, cried Charity. Little differences, echoed Mercy. A good-looking youth stepped forward from the doorway. "'Come, Mr. Pecksniff,' he said with a smile. "'Bear me no ill will at parting, sir.' "'I bear no ill will to any man on earth.'